The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. In this episode, Anne from Pikachu Podcast drops by to talk about the music of Pokemon Coliseum, the first of many Pokemon games by Genius Sonority. With its Western-inspired setting, it gives us plenty to compare to, especially from the world of film. If you want to know what we thought of the game itself, be sure to listen after the outro. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm on the phone with Anne from PKB Podcast. And this is the next in our series of Pokemon side game music discussions. This time we're talking about the music of Pokemon Coliseum for the GameCube. Of course, this is a successor, at least in some ways, to the Pokemon Stadium games that were on the N64. It does take a fairly different route in terms of its gameplay and structure and stuff like that, and we'll certainly be talking about that. So if you haven't been to one of these before, the way these work is that we discuss some of the background details about the game, our experience with it, some of the folks behind it, uh, and then we talk about a couple songs that we've each picked out, and then we usually do a wrap-up, and then in the bonus segment, uh, after all this, we usually do a game discussion. We should be doing all of that today. But let's start with the basics. This game was originally released back in late 2003, November, in Japan. And then in March of 2004 in North America, and then May of 2004 in Europe. Uh, One interesting thing, we had mentioned in our discussion of Pokemon Channel that there was a bonus disc that was in Japan. Uh, Here in in North America, there was also a bonus disc if you pre-ordered the game which had some some stuff in it. Nothing too special, some trailers. I think you got a Jirachi you could get for your game, which was kind of nice, but there's other ways to get that now. But as far as my experience with this game originally, I don't remember exactly when I got it. I know I got it during its original thing there. I might have gotten it for Easter that year, given the release date there or somewhere thereabouts. So that was kind of my experience. I played through a good chunk of the game back then, I'm pretty sure. Um, You may remember that earlier in my channel's history, I did a partial walkthrough of the game. I got through a a chunk of it, uh, maybe the first quarter or so, but um, enjoyed it, Um, like some of the aspects we're going to talk about today. But Anne, what was your sort of experience with this game? Um, this is a game, like like many of the games of this particular era, one that I never owned, uh, but I have played it um, kind of at conventions, so it kind of has that special feeling for me of like, oh, like, you know, we're going to go to a, a big fancy place and play with people I've never met, and it's, it's going to be an event. So I've, I've played it a lot um, with other people at various conventions and like where they set up retro, great, retro gaming systems and allow you to play for a bit. Yeah, I do still see it at events. Um, a lot of the major trading card game events back when we had those, um, and hopefully later this year we'll be having them again. 
in any event, there's a, a company based out of, I believe they're actually based out of Wisconsin on, on the west side of the state near La Crosse that uh, runs a lot of the gaming areas at a lot of the major tournaments. And they would have this, among many other games, in there. Although sort of the catch was uh, on their GameCubes, they didn't have memory cards in them, so you couldn't actually save in there. So you would see the first <laughs> couple hours of of this game. But people still enjoyed playing it uh, for uh, for what there was there. So definitely has some some legs to it in terms of reputation, and we'll certainly be talking more about that. All right. Well, as far as who developed this game, it's a sort of a new face in our, our look at this. You may remember the stadium games were developed either by HAL or by some of Nintendo's internal teams. Well, in the interim, they formed a company called Genius Sonority. And uh, that company, they've made a few other things that aren't Pokemon, but they've mostly been making Pokemon games. This was pretty much the first thing that they made as a game. And they also made the follow-up, uh, Gale of Darkness in the GameCube, Battle Revolution, Let's see, Troze and Shuffle, that sort of side series, and uh, a few other things here and there. So they've been primarily a Pokemon developer, but they, they do have uh, a few other things like the Denpa Men games that you might have seen. Um, looks like they also had like the 100 classic books for DS, where Nintendo took a bunch of public domain books and put them on a DS cart. And, and things of that nature. And I'm not sure you had too much else to add about Genius Sonority as a company. Not about Genius Sonority, no. Well, having said that, the actual music person for this game, and pretty much all of Genius Sonority's games, at least in the in the Pokemon realm, is Tsukasa Tawada. Obviously, that's a, a Japanese person. This is, of course, a Japanese studio. And uh, we were able to find some stuff on him. Uh, it looks like he was born in 1965, and he did do a fair amount of video game work before this game. His his credits date back to sort of the NES slash Famicom era. One interesting one I found is that he worked on the Famicom version of Maniac Mansion. Now, I, I have to be very particular about this. This is not the same port as what we got here in the States for the uh, computer game Maniac Mansion, uh, this is the the Japanese Famicom version that came out actually a year or two earlier, strangely enough. Um, but he did the music for that. I, w I wouldn't say it, it's not maybe the best thing he's ever worked on. I, I definitely think the music in this game is going to is uh, he's showing some personal growth there. Let's put it that way. He also has some other games with odd lineages, like the NES game Wampum, which started out as a game in Japan on based on Journey to the West, but the North American version, for some reason, they changed it to be uh, the Wild West and be starring a Native American character, which is, it's kind of weird and, and probably part of the reason it's kind of lost to history a little bit. Uh, other credits include the Dungeon Master series. He's done some sound design work on Dragon Quest. And let's see, as far as like after he started working at Genius Sonority, one of the things that's not Pokemon he's credited on is Harvest Moon, The Lost Valley. But, Anne, you also, we, we've always both tried to research the musicians involved. What did you find out? Yeah, so um, he's a very classically trained pianist. He started uh, playing piano at the age of two. Um, I can't find anything about, say, where he did his musical education or, or, or who might have instructed him. It doesn't seem that he's completely self-taught, but because he's very well trained in the classical style. Um, but it looks like in 1987, he either 
graduated or began his uh, music career. I'm not sure exactly how to interpret this block of kanji I'm looking at, but in, by 1980, 1992, he moved uh, to Tokyo and started proper work as a recording studio and the rest is history. But he is um, very active on social media, actually. He has both a YouTube and a Facebook where he kind of does a travel piano diary and where he just gets on his piano and, and plays. And you can see, like, he really has a lot of skill, um, both for um, just piano playing in the, in the classical style and as well as uh, composing for orchestras. So it, he's a very interesting person. I wish I could find more information about his uh, life before he got to be a composer for uh, movies and video games and media, but he's a very interesting person and very friendly by all accounts. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned his sort of public profile. I was just watching a video a day or two before we recorded this about the history of Lugia. And since he worked on the sequel to this game, which prominently features Lugia, they had asked him some questions and wasn't able to provide all the answers they were looking for. But uh, apparently he does have a bit of a, a profile out there. So uh, definitely encourage our listeners to take a look at some of his other stuff in there, both gaming and it uh, sounds like there's some other things as well. So um, and I should point out, he is totally still active. In fact, last year's Genius Sonority Pokemon game uh, was uh, Pokemon Cafe Mix, and he worked on that one as well. So we'll be we'll be mentioning him quite a bit in the uh, next uh, dozen or so of these that we do. So uh, mm-hmm. still active, yep. Well, having gone over that, let's sort of talk about the overall style of the music in this game. I definitely found that there was a, a definite... Uh, Western quality. I, I kind of want to say, you know, Wild West is a bit, it refers to a very narrow pit place in history of, of the United States. Um, and I should definitely say, this is definitely Western music, not so much country. Uh, those are related genres of music, but they are distinct. Uh, this definitely sounds like stuff that's more associated with, say, with Texas, New Mexico, Arizona. And in fact, the region in this game is based on Arizona. Uh, I think it's pronounced like Ore or something like that. But uh, the music definitely sort of follows that sort of trend. And uh, one notable thing is, although the stadium games had had some decently well-produced music in terms of like instrumentation quality, they were always limited by what the N64 could do. This one definitely has, uh, it's all sample-based, but it's very high quality, and they, and they really went out, not sure exactly what I said there, but uh, I was going to say out of their way there, but I'm not sure if that's the correct phrase. And uh, I guess my other note that I have for the soundtrack overall is that there is a little bit of stuff from the Ruby Sapphire games in here that's used in the non-story mode of this. That is fairly uh, straight-porting with just with like better, you know, higher-quality instruments, but they didn't take too many liberties with it otherwise. And what are your sort of overall notes on the style of music in this game? Yeah, I would agree with what you said in that it has a very Western feel. It, like it kind of, that word works on dual sentences because on the one hand, there's a lot of instrumentation and musical stylings that speak to the American West uh, and like old old-timey westerns and cowboys and and as you say texas new mexico that deserty sonora area of the our country um but also just in his composition style like we mentioned he was a classically trained pianist the way he composes sounds very 
like European senses of counterpoint and chord progressions uh, to me more so than some of the other types of music that we have explored in this podcast. So it is definitely a fresh, fresh look on Pokemon music that we're getting here today, I think. Well, yeah, they, they definitely went in a different direction than the stadium games went into. This is definitely not trying to sound like a uh, band at uh, or like a marching band at a, a stadium, you know, at a, a college football game or whatever. That is definitely not what they're going for. I would say that the amount of Western as in, you know, uh, Southwestern influence does vary from song to song. There's some stuff that is very much what you would might see in, in certain types of Western movies. There's others that have definitely some influence there, but it's not quite as obvious. So there is some range there, and we'll be talking about that with this, with with some of what we've picked out there. Well, well speaking of which, uh, as usual, each of us has picked out three songs. Uh, Anne, which three did you pick out? Yes, I... I have picked out The Outskirts Stand, uh, Mirror Bee's Retro Groove, and uh, Fadine the Fortune Teller. And so the three I picked out were the Friendly Battle, not to be confused with the Normal Battle, which is actually something different. There's a Friendly Battle theme. I also picked out Phoenix City. No point for guessing what real-world city that name might be based off of. And the last one I picked was the Relic Forest. So we usually try to go in the order that you would experience these in the games, and I think we've got that relatively well nailed down here. So, Anne, looks like you're up first, and tell us about the Outskirts Stand and its music. Right. Uh, so the Outskirts Stand is kind of one of the uh, first place where you get a battle, I believe. Um, and it's kind of like... It starts off with a harmonica, and it's kind of the most, like, home-on-the-rangey song in the um, entire thing, I think. Like, it, it sounds very homey and um, rustic, and I really love this track just because I also play the harmonica, and it, it gives you a nice uh, mix between um, playing the chords on the harmonica and playing single notes and it's, you know, for all it sounds like very blue-collar, salt-of-the-earth simple, it's also very intricate. Um, and I rather like it a lot for that reason, too. Yeah, I, I took a few notes on this one. It is the place, the first kind of real place you go to in the game after an opening cinematic. Uh, but it's got a very desolate feeling to it. And um, I would say where there's the harmonica, especially at the very start, that it's just really just the harmonica and the howling wind. Uh, technically speaking, it is possible, at least online, to listen to this without the background wind noises. But I feel that does give this... I think uh, the wind adds something, though. It gives it sort of a middle-of-nowhere type of place, which I think is what they're going for. The actual setting for this this part of the game is there's... It's supposed to be like a gas station... But the sort of like the building there is built out of an old uh, locomotive train. I forget what they call it, the, the first thing on there, the head or whatever, the engine compartment or whatever. And do you agree with some of what I, says? Do you agree with some of what I just yeah. said there? Yeah, it's kind of gas station, uh, cantina sort of 
like the the local farmer hangout sort of thing. I I was saying, uh, sorry when I interrupted you. Like I really think the winds add something to it, but like so much of this uh, game, like this part, like the opening cinematic, and when you get to hear, it looks a lot. I'm getting a lot of like Tatooine from Star Wars type vibes, like the pod racing N64 game. Um, so like this music, I think really did help kind of ground it in its own place and kind of give it that flavor of of being removed from that particular um not recollection that that particular sense that i was getting um of being associated with another video game like this this music kind of put it into a, a different sort of feel and gave it its own sense of place and time and yeah yeah definitely one of the more uh, American West type of of influences there. Some of the other ones do have a little bit of that influence, but this one really does have it. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's move on to my first track. This is the Friendly Battle track. And as I said earlier, this is not the same as the normal battle track. This is the Friendly Battle, which means you're not battling someone who is a like shady character or anything like that. But uh, I, I had a, a, some interesting notes on this one. First of all, the the song has this soaring quality, which um, some some very bright string work, and then it also has some guitar work. And by guitar, I don't mean an old timey guitar; I mean an electric guitar. Um, that's kind of one of the reasons I've been hesitant to say old west or wild west with some of this, just because the game is very clearly set. In, in something of a modern setting, at least within the Pokemon universe. Um, so it's it's not old-timey necessarily, a lot of the music, but there is still a little bit of that frontier-slash-western quality, and this definitely has that. Kind of one thing I wanted to compare it to was the normal battle theme from the Pokemon trading card game for Game Boy that we talked about uh, a ways back. Because this, this song does fill a similar niche, and that's used for a lot of the a lot of battles within the game, but it, it has much more a much different energy to it. They both work, but this one uh, is more bright and stuff like that, and and energetic. Uh, and does that kind of make sense there? Very, yes. Oh, it, energetic is the right word, and that electric guitar is just so good. It it really revs you up for your battle with some zigzagoons. Yeah, that is the the first place. You will hear it a number of other places. Basically, anytime you're you're not battling someone who uh, is someone who might have a shadow Pokemon, uh, this is the theme you'll hear for a lot of those encounters. Um, but it certainly makes the battle exciting, and it still does have a little bit of that that Western edge to it in terms of especially the, like the strings. Obviously, the guitar not so much, but. Uh, and any other thoughts on this track? Um, I'm not sure what to say. It's one of the tracks that we picked that doesn't have like separate movements, like orchestral movements. In like, we'll talk about that probably on my um, on some of the tracks coming up. Um, but it is a track that kind of seems to stay on its same motif throughout, um, which is interesting. I-, I love it a lot, though. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. Reading through a lot of the uh, comment threads on some of these these songs, there were a lot of fans of this, and actually a lot of rearrangements, more so than, like, uh, definitely than Hey You Pikachu and some of the other games that we've covered. 
You wouldn't hire just any band to do a song based on the legend from Pokemon 2000, as not many acts would have the talent to give it just the right balance of seriousness and humor. Thankfully, the B-52s were willing and able to provide their services for the soundtrack. Sure, the chosen one might not be as off the wall as Rock Lobster, but it does capture the sense of fun the band is known for, and with its surf rock influence, it fits in nicely with the movie's tropical island setting. If you want to draw parallels to the characters of the movie, well, Fred's voice does remind me of the island elder, and Kate and Cindy could represent Melody, but it's more likely you would simply attribute it to a musical group performing during the festival. I suppose that's an idea if this movie ever gets a remake. In any case, do you think they made the right decision tapping this group for this song? Be sure to let us know. Thanks. Alright, well, uh, this isn't quite in order, but I think we wanted to alternate this time around. So, Anne, your next song is uh, Fadine the Fortune Teller. One of several, I would say, colorful characters you meet in this game. Tell us a little bit about this. Yes. So this is a very <laughs> interesting track. Like, it starts off like there's bells and it's creepy, but it also has like this beautiful little flute going on in sort of almost a major key melody. And then it dips back into creepy again. So... And then, and then it kind of like has a pause and it's like a Twilight Zone theme almost. So this is a song that goes in several different places and you're just put a little bit on edge all the way throughout. Yeah, so so the purpose of this character within the game is uh, like a lot of like other fortune tellers you might find in video games. She sort of tells you where to go next if you're kind of stuck is sort of the the functional purpose. There might be one or two other reasons you go in there during the game, but that's kind of the main reason. As far as the music, I put down there is sort of a, even though it might be a little bit off, not not off-putting, but a little bit mysterious and stuff, it does kind of pull you in a little bit there. Is that something you found, Anne? Yeah, like it's very intriguing. And you, and this is, again, one of those tracks, like, I wouldn't say it has like three distinct movements necessarily like another track I'm going to talk about, but it definitely, it doesn't loop. It's a long track. It's like a full two minutes and it goes many different places. Like you've got the Twilight Zone thing. You've got the pretty happy flute. You've got the weird, eerie, synthy thing. It it keeps moving so that you keep wanting to hear what comes next, but it's also unsettling because it's a lot of odd minor chords and and interesting note combinations, but it's very pretty. And just as you were kind of talking about that, I kind of realized, you know, fortune tellers, they kind of have this uh, because of the way they do their business sort of thing. Like you don't know if they're going to say something good, something bad, some of both. Um, they sort of try to, there's a certain level of uncertainty that brings you in there, but also kind of not sure exactly if I can put that into words, but did you kind of get what I was saying there? It kind of does reflect her, her purpose and her character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You never know where she's going to send you or. <laughs> so that also occurred to me. Any other particular thoughts on this one, Anne? I think we've 
we've talked about it all. Like, I, I just, it's something a little bit different when it comes to this soundtrack. And it's, again, one of those few tracks that doesn't have the sort of um, southern, southwestern flavor to it in the same way that, say, the other tracks do. Yeah, this is definitely one of the more one-off ones, I suppose, uh, thematically. But it does work for what it was intended for. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the next one I picked out is Phoenix City. And this is sort of the bright, shiny, very nice place you would actually want to live city uh, mm-hmm. in this game, as opposed to some of the other locations, which are, are more run down. But as far as it goes musically, uh, the thing I found most interesting about this track is that there there are two distinct sections. There's sort of a a slow string-based section towards the beginning, and then midway through it changes into this uh, faster harmonica-based thing, and then it sort of loops back. It definitely reflects the character of the city being very peaceful. But uh, Anne, what were your kind of thoughts on this track? Yeah, and it's very much the same. Like, this is kind of one of the ones I'm talking about where it has two very distinct movements to it. And, and you, you, as you say, it has that soft, very peaceful, very beautiful, like, we're, we're sitting down for some classical music orchestral, like, this is a nice, clean town or city. And then it has something much more exciting and active, and that harmonica's back, and it's busy and bustling. So it kind of reflects the the two aspects of this city. And, you know, the longer you're there, the more, the more things happen, and the, the more wild it starts getting. So... Yeah, like it very much reflects um, the city and the plot of what happens in that city, I think. One other thing I wanted to mention with the the two-part thing is, I don't know if this was ever the case, but, you know, the GameCube does have an internal clock that keeps track of time. And I do wonder if at one point they were considering having a day-night cycle, depending on the real-time clock and stuff, because it does seem like one of these is definitely more of a night theme, maybe that first part. Although I guess there might be also be a bit of a sunrise quality to it. And that second part is maybe more of a daytime thing. I'm not sure. And any thoughts on that idea? Um, hard to say what they were thinking, but that's an awesome idea. And I could definitely see a case being made for it, how you could make that work. It would be very fun and exciting. Yeah, whenever you have, you know, not just an A section and a B section, but two very different sections that still more or less work together and, and flow into each other, mm-hmm. it, it does kind of beg the question a little bit as to why. But I no idea if that was actually ever planned for this, but it's hard to say, but again, it kind of, it's hard to say why exactly, but again, knowing that he is very classically trained as a pianist. It doesn't surprise me that he'd compose in that way, too, where you develop a theme in one movement, and then you develop a completely separate theme in another movement, and then maybe by the third they start pulling together sort of a thing. So in some ways it's not surprising. In other ways, maybe, as you say, it was indicative of some other game mechanics that they were playing with. It could be, it could be either at this point. Yeah, yeah. So would be interesting to know that, and maybe we'll find out sometime. But um, let's go on to Anne's uh, third pick, 
We had mentioned that there were a number of colorful characters in this game. We we picked the one that might well be the most colorful. <laughs> um, and you picked uh, Mir B's theme, and he's definitely a character. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about this? Okay, so set the scene. You're going through like a basement into some sort of warehouse like thing. Everything's gray and there's like giant fans and suddenly this dude in full disco regalia and a afro that's dyed two different colors like Sia comes out and starts getting down to some Latin grooves. Like there's you know, a human voice interjection. There's Ludicolo's dancing. The song is beautiful and it's chaos. It It is all Latin rhythms and fun. And a little weird given that he is not dressed for that type of music. He's dressed for something very different. But at the same time, he is so fun. I cannot fault him. He is living his best life. Well, you had mentioned Star Wars earlier. They did make disco out of Star Wars. So I'm sure there was some salsa variant yes. of disco as well. <laughs> This, this, that is not what this track really is. It's it's definitely more of a Latin slash salsa track, and it's got a mm-hmm. a definite energy to it. Uh, to be honest, I, I think this character, I think you see him once or twice before this scene there. But yeah, this is sort of his big introduction. I I do think he's sort of filling a role, going back to the trading card game for Game Boy, very similar to Imakuni, although he he is uh, Mir B is is is. Definitely part of the the bad guy team or one of the teams in this game. So maybe that was one reason or maybe Imakuni wasn't available or they just wanted to go a different way there. But do you kind of get a similar vibe there from from this, even though the music is different and the character is definitely different? Definitely that vibe of like the the one guy on the evil bad guy team who is just larger than life, like for... Team Rocket is Jesse and James for, like, Imakuni, um, and, like, it's just, there's always one who's just over the top and, and is a bad guy, but you kind of end up loving them anyway. That's this guy. He, he brings fun to the evil plot. You mentioned the vocal samples in there. Um, what do you think about using this? Is, that's pretty much the only track in this game that has any sort of vocal samples, aside from like one other that's also based on this. Uh, what do you think about all that? I think it works for this track. Um, it's very fun, and I kind of might have liked to see it used in other tracks, but like, it kind of fits this particular character in his kind of boss fight scenario where... You know, we pull out all the stop. It's stops. It's go big or go home. He's definitely the kind of character that you could see singing along to this music. I think it works. I would like to explore it further for other tracks if it, if I were on the design team and we were remaking this game. I like it a lot. Yeah, and I should point out, even though the character is a bit of a a joke character, definitely not necessarily an easy battle. Um, <laughs> the 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 rain team that he runs. Uh, can actually be pretty difficult if you um, because of the way the game's structured. So uh, not necessarily a pushover either. Uh, but um, I, I just knew we would have to talk about this. I, I definitely <laughs> when I didn't have this on my list. I, I really pressured Anne to be honest to make sure. I, I'm guessing she probably would have picked it anyway. But uh, oh, you really twisted my arm. Like it was so hard to bring out the dude with the afro. <laughs> 
Well, I've got I got one more track that I got, and this is the Relic Forest. So in one of the cities here, it's sort of the more off to the side sort of uh, it's almost kind of a retirement community. I think is is kind of what it is, but sort of towards the bottom of the town, you can go through this cave and you wind up in this place that has this like obelisk or or whatever it is where you actually purify your shadow Pokemon that you catch. We'll talk more about some of the other mechanics in our in our post-discussion. But uh, there's a, a tune here that is extremely peaceful by design, I'm sure. It opens up with a harp. Uh, I don't know if arrangement is the right word, but basically a harp part. And there's also some some strings and woodwinds in there. And, uh, you know, it's definitely one of the more pleasant ones. Uh, the comments when I would look this one up, they, there were a lot of comparisons to, like, uh, Sheik's theme from Legend of Zelda and stuff like that. Uh, and and what kind of uh, impression did this song give you? It's It's like a lullaby. It... Reminds me of a lot of music um, my mom used to play when we were very little kids. Uh, like she'd turn on the big um, cassette player or CD player in the living room and play like soft, soothing music, sometimes classical for us to go to sleep to. This sounds like something she would have played. Like it's so soothing. Um, like I didn't think of um, Legend of Zelda, Sheik's theme or anything like that. But now that you bring it up, like it sounds like it would not be out of place in a in a Zelda game too. I yeah, it's just very soft and quiet and peaceful and intricate as well. Yeah, and I should point out that you know one of the items you get a, a limited number of in this game is something called the Time Flute, which you can use to instantly purify a Pokemon uh, by summoning Celebi in order to do that, and that obviously kind of fits with the forest theme. It does feel like they're referencing. Uh, some other parts of the franchise there. Any thoughts uh, in that area, Anne? Very much so. Like, yeah, it's not Celebi's theme exactly, but it feels, it's giving off very much that vibe of Celebi and the Hidden Forest and Movie 4 in general. And yeah, like that flute that you hear in the track ties to the flute you can find in the game. And well done. A+. (laughs) Yeah, so definitely something that fits in there. And there's a, there's a couple other things. Like when you actually purify a Pokemon, there's a little fanfare that plays, and it's a little bit reserved there as well. So I think it all kind of fits together to give that a, a good sense of place um, within the game. Having talked about a number of songs, we should give our overall opinion then of the music in this game. Uh, we kind of skipped over some of the other stuff. There's no like announcer in this game like there was in the first couple stadium games. Uh, even in the non-story mode, there isn't really a an announcer if you go into that part of the game. So, and, and no real voice acting to speak of. I don't even think like Pikachu's voice is really in there. It's just the usual Pokemon cries and stuff like that, and and sound effects in the game. So. <laughs> Going on to an overall opinion of the game, I think they did a pretty good job here. The production quality, you know, they could do a lot more on the GameCube with the additional storage space and whatnot uh, that they couldn't do on the N64. And they obviously put a lot of effort into coming up with an overall sound, but still having some range within there. Uh, We haven't talked about some of the more, like, high-tech places that you go in the game, and those still do work within sort of the, the confines of this. But uh, I think they put together something pretty good here. 
Uh, Anne, what are your sort? What's sort of your overall opinion? Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's just a very beautiful soundtrack. I love um, the direction they went and the the qualities to it. It's just beautiful music, and I think a lot of people agree that you can. It has a lot of um, remix potential. It's beautiful for like piano practice. It's um, or, or like different arrangement potential and. And, like, it's lovely to listen to a lot of these tracks just by themselves outside of gameplay, too. Yeah, and, and it's especially impressive. You know, this, the music in this game is on the scale of what would be produced for, like, the original game, but done on with more complex instrumentations and just on more advanced hardware and whatnot. So really good work on this. I don't know exactly how much time he had to work with uh, on this, but he did a pretty good job. All right. Well, we don't have any feedback to go over, unfortunately. You know, that just happens sometimes. But if you have comments on this or any of our discussions, if you're watching this in video form, you can always give us a comment on the video. Uh, otherwise, you can always drop me a line at pokepress at gmail.com. We always like to get those comments and work them into our discussions. It uh, doesn't matter if you saw this uh, the day after it was live streamed or a year down the road or more. Um, we always love having your comments, and we'll try and work them into a future discussion. All right, so uh, what's our next episode going to be? Well, we don't quite know for sure. We do know what the next Pokemon side game is. If we end up doing that, that will be Pokemon Dash for the Nintendo DS. Yes, believe it or not, uh, there's actually a bit of a gap before the next side games comes comes out. And the sort of early DS game, Pokemon Dash, is next up on the side game queue as a result. But there is another thing coming up that we will do an episode on, depending on when it comes out, that will maybe throw a wrench into our schedule. So obviously we're coming up, uh, we're recording this at the end of January 2021. And we don't know exactly when Secrets of the Jungle, the next Pokemon movie, will debut in the West. Spoiler alert! We're still waiting. There is a good chance it will happen at the end of February, um, but we haven't heard anything as of yet. So our next episode will probably either be Pokemon Dash for the Nintendo DS or Secrets of the Jungle. Either way, you will get to both of those. Until then, Anne, thank you very much for being on. Thank you. All right, folks, thanks. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. Okay, so moving on to the game discussion, there's actually fair number of things I wanted to talk about with this game. I think the first thing we should definitely talk about is that this game places a very heavy emphasis on double battles, which were a new feature in Generation 3 in this game. In the story mode, you're pretty much always playing a double battle. And do you have, what are your sort of general thoughts on double battles in Pokemon? I love them. Like, I really like them a lot. I wouldn't say I necessarily have mastered the crafty techniques to make the most use of them and the like the ways certain Pokemon's attacks can kind of buff the other and the like, but I really, I'm always really happy in a main series game whenever I get to have a double battle. So that's a part of this game that I really liked was I, 
I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I've had I've been pretty positive on double battles. Well, I know some folks really prefer single battles, and that's what's used in some of. Well, well, the official Pokemon tournament format is generally all doubles. If you look at the VGC championships and whatnot. Uh, but I know some folks really do prefer singles, and if you do, that's okay, and this probably isn't going to be the game for you then. It, it is kind of interesting. They really did try to push these out, even in, like, Gen 3, and I, I don't know when they stopped really doing it, but there were, uh, like, two versus two rules uh, officially, like, for the trading card game that they tried to put out there, and they even made some cards that tried to make use of that. Um, so that was a big push here. Um, and you definitely had to think a little bit differently, especially with moves like Earthquake um, that affect all the other Pokemon and stuff like that. So so making a whole game about it uh, really kind of shows their dedication and their desire to get that out there. So next thing I want to talk about was Shadow Pokemon. We had mentioned them here and there, but sort of the gist, since there are no wild Pokemon in this game, you have to catch these Shadow Pokemon that appear here and there that the... Uh, the Cypher evil team has created and given to various folks uh, throughout the game. And, and your companion, uh, Rui, can detect these, and then you have to try and catch them and stuff. And that's how you actually build your team in this game. Um, but once you catch them, you have to go through a fairly long process of purification before you can finally do that finishing step in the in the Relic Forest that we talked about. I don't know, Anne, what, how do you kind of feel about that? Um, mixed, because on the one hand, it's an idea like the idea of shadow Pokemon or Pokemon that have been turned to evil by various evil teams and their wrongdoings and late and, and then have to be rescued, basically. Like, that's a conceit in the Pokemon franchise that's been used before in various games, various anime. Again, I I'm just mixed on it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. This one kind of fell a little bit in between. I much prefer to battle wild Pokemon and catch them that way. Um, like, like, I don't love that you're rescuing the Pokemon and it's how you build your team. Hmm. And it, like, it felt a little less straightforward as a game mechanic. And it was, I don't know, it was different. But again, it's always nice to try something new in a Pokemon game, so I'm here for that. Well, I was actually more asking, that was a good answer, Anne, um, and I got some, that, that was a fine answer, Anne, but I was actually more interested in the actual like process of getting the gauge down, because it starts out full, and then as you as it goes down, oh, you get access to more moves and stuff like that. What you said is it's definitely a valid take, but I was more interested in the mechanics. There's about four or five ways you can bring that gauge down, a lot of it is either, let's see, there's a couple of ways you can do it in, as part of a battle. You also get some credit for like walking around. There's a daycare. There are some, there's like some sense you can use to sort of bring the gauge down. But you do have to bring it, unless you're going to use one of your precious time flutes, you, you do have to bring it all the way down before you can finish purification. And then you can actually, like, they'll, they'll get their... Um, their experience that they had built up at that point, they'll finally get them. They can even evolve then and stuff like that. But that's actually kind of a common criticism of this game is that a lot of folks feel it's too hard or takes too long to uh, get that gauge down. Uh, any thoughts in that area? I um, I would agree with that. Yeah, like that was a bit of a frustration where you have to either 
use them in battle or like walk places or use the flute or go to the relic was it the relic forest yeah that was a problem again i'm not sure what you would do better but (laughs) i I definitely see the criticism actually there are a couple options um you have a number of options in this game it's that all of them are, are a little bit on the tedious side to, mm-hmm. at least uh you know to me and to a number of other folks but there are other ways of doing it uh, when we get to the sequel gale of darkness that uses a very it has some of the same stuff but also has some additional systems that lets you purify pokemon more quickly mm-hmm. we'll talk more about that when we get to the game but there's one other point of comparison you know these these shadow pokemon uh there's one other place that has a similar mechanic and that's pokemon go a couple years ago when they started adding the team rocket stuff in there you could encounter a grunt and then after the battle one of their pokemon you would catch it and then you you purify those in a fairly different way Uh, you might be able to do some walking around with them but usually what you do is you spend a couple candy and some stardust and then they're just purified and they learn the move return i don't know how much of that you've done Uh, have you used or how much uh work with the shadow pokemon have you done in pokemon go Anne? Oh, I've not done any work with Shadow Pokemon in Pokemon Go. <laughs> That's a thing. <laughs> Indeed it is. Yeah. So, yeah, you just uh, rescue them from the Team Rocket person and then... Oh, right. Yeah. No, I've not actually experienced it. I- I'd be remiss if I hadn't mentioned it here. So, as a, something I don't know exactly how inspired they were, because it does work a little bit differently, but it is underlying it a similar concept. Huh. Well, let's let's talk about sort of the setting. We've mentioned it many times. I called it the modern West because there's some st- definite stuff that is not from the from the old West uh, from the 1800s or or whenever um, when that was. Sort of one of the interesting things about it is that first of all, the place is kind of desolate, like a lot of the the Southwest is, but. Um, there are other aspects of the franchise. Notably, this this came out around the same time as the Jirachi Wishmaker movie, especially in the West. I think they were well-timed together, and that uses a, a, a similar desert-ish setting. Uh, what are your kind of thoughts on that, Anne? Yeah, like they could have been um, just piggybacking off of the location scouting sort of situation um, using similar... Um, inspirations when the electric guitar came in for friendly battle like it almost like stopped being old west and kind of more of a mad max feel with like broken down um covered in sand relics and things like that i definitely see some connect potential connection to jirachi Witchmaker and a lot of the images and still frames that come out of that movie um a lot of the settings and the background map headings and the like I, it's anyone's guess how connected they were, but there is some of those locations in the movie, some similar vibes. And I suppose it's also worth mentioning, you know, some of this stuff is derived from the Western film genre, uh, both in terms of like the, the musical influence and some of the settings and stuff like that. And of course, you know, one staple of the Western movie is the showdown. Now, usually that involves uh, firearms of some sort. Here, of course, it's all done with Pokemon. So I think there's a little bit that sort of fits in with the aesthetic as well. 
sort of showdown at high noon kind of <laughs> feel. Yeah, so I think that's also worth mentioning. Sort of the next thing I want to talk about is uh, we had mentioned, of course, uh, Fadine and Mir B. This game has quite a cast of interesting characters, to say the least. <laughs> we we didn't mention like the the TV show underground TV show host uh, Venus, which for some reason they they had to make a, a reference to that classic song. Uh, the "I'm Your Venus" is is referenced in there for some reason. <laughs> Um, and, and a, a few other characters in there. I don't know. I, I'm not sure exactly what I ha- have to say about that, but I, I figured it was worth mentioning that there's a, a, an interesting ensemble of characters in this game. That is kind of like there's a kind of a middle ground in this game between like the stadium games and a general main series games. And one of the things that I enjoyed about this that kind of tied back to main series style gameplay was a lot of very colorful NPCs that have their own life going on and you kind of enjoy talking to all of them whether or not they actually give you anything. They're just fun to talk to. And that is a staple of Pokemon games, I think, in the main series is that the NPCs are fun regardless of whether they further the plot or give you items or whatever. It's just kind of fun to chat with them. So that was something I liked about this. Definitely some of them are a little more offbeat than usual in this game, but Yeah, yeah, they they went some interesting places. Let's just uh I guess say that <laughs> is, is is one way to put it. So one thing I wanted to I wouldn't call this a pitch or anything, but I wanted to discuss. We we had mentioned Western films, which you know definitely did get shown in Japan. They they definitely would have at least some familiarity with with that genre of film that this game also borrows some things from. I do kind of wonder if this could maybe be adapted into, you know, if if that Pokemon Cinematic Universe ever becomes a thing, would this make a good candidate for adapting into a movie? I think, you know, it's got some nice settings. It's got some, some interesting characters. There's certain aspects of the game, like your character Wes, the the main male character you play as, doesn't really have a full-on backstory, and they'd probably have to divulge some more things there to make that work. But but Anne, you know, if they wanted to adapt this, do you think it would make a good candidate? I think there's a lot of potential here. Um, Generally, a lot of Pokemon games I've thought in the past could use um, like a, a story, a cinematic or or TV telling, um, just because there's so much there to work with. And this is one of those games, and I remember reading in the comments, like, a lot of other people were very impressed by the plot of this game. I don't know that it's necessarily the best Pokemon has ever come up with, but there is a lot of cinematic potential, and the game opens with, like, a cutscene, even. There's a lot to work with. There's definitely a good, solid through line, and interesting locales, and interesting characters, and and some real stakes to build off of, I think it could make a very fun movie if someone wanted to give that a go. Yeah, one thing you might do to switch things up, though, is that you might want to actually tell the movie from, like, Rui's perspective uh, Mm. a little bit. I think that might give the narrative a little bit of a different, uh, a little bit of a shift there that might make things a little more interesting. I just wanted to kind of throw that one out there. But, yeah, I think this is... Uh, one of perhaps one of the better candidates in that regard. So, 
But uh, overall, it, it's definitely got some rough edges around some of the mechanical aspects. I think most notably, uh, certainly the purification side of things, getting that gauge down is something that was improved in XD. But uh, definitely have enjoyed uh, playing this over the years, and I, I get, get the feeling you, you like it as well. I do enjoy it. I do enjoy it a lot. 